Hi, I'm Michael. Hi, I'm Sanat. And welcome to our podcast, No Assembly Required. What are you, Michael? Huh? What are you? What am I? Yeah, who do you want to be? Oh, that's scary to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bear all on this podcast episode. Mm. What do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Yeah. I want to do something fun. Yep. In my life. Mm-hmm. And make an impact. Yeah. As cliche as it sounds. See, like, I don't think it's a cliche because for a lot of people, the idea that you want to do something to make an impact doesn't even register on the blip. Like, it's just like a lot of people are content. And this is completely fine. A lot of people are content with pursuing a career. And just doing that for the rest of their lives. Day in and day out. And (laughs) that's fine. That's okay. You are unique. That's that's so funny. Why is it funny? I don't know. It just is. I'm just practicing. There is no practice. We're already... Are we recording? Yeah. Fuck. I'm just worried (laughs) that the volume isn't loud enough, to be honest. But... I guess we'll just deal with that later. I think you sound all right. Oh, you sound all right too, but... Hello, everybody. (laughs) Hi. Okay, let's start start properly now. Okay. Hi. Hey. Hey. Hey, Hey, Snut. Hey, Mike. Where the fuck have you been for the past (laughs) six months? Where have you been for the last five months? Um, What's hmm. been up with you? Where have you been? What have you been doing? Well, when, when was our last episode? You tell you told me this, May. I was asking you to make it seem like a conversation rather than <laughs> saying it was the tenth of May. It's um, the tenth of May. Yeah. It's been a long time. What's been happening from the tenth of May mm. to what is now the twenty third of September? Yeah. June, July, August, September. So four, four months. months. Which is which is quite a gap in between That's uh, a big gap. Between like episodes of a podcast that you hoped you'd be doing regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know how the name of this podcast is not assembly required? Yep. The truth is that there is some assembly assembly required. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) What's been up with you? Yeah, well, in May, what happened in May? I think May was May, June. I think when we recorded, it was about, it would have been mid-sem. I think so, yeah. Yeah, end of mid-sem. Semester one went well for me, which was a surprise. Oh, nice. Wait, so you... you (laughs) What? No, just how fake it was. You were like, oh, oh nice. Well, I genuinely yeah, like. I'm sure I've told I'm you this. For, you told me like it went okay, but like. Oh, okay. It went well. Nice. Yeah. I'm genuinely okay, happy for right, you. I'm right. not I like, thought you were just like this playing is, along because I said. A lot of people, right? When <laughs> yeah. I say like, oh, nice to them. A lot of people get real guarded. Because yeah, like, that's so such like, a high pitch. Like, oh, nice. But it's like. Bro, I'm genuinely happy yeah, for you. Yeah, but I already so told you this before. It's on you to like stop being so guarded. Wow. Yeah. Hear this? So now is a uh, yeah. Anyway, right. <laughs> um, what happened? <coughs> yeah, Sim went well. Uh, went on holiday for a month to the United States, which was great, with some friends. That was till about mid July. Where did you go in the US? Where did I go in the US? I went to we went to 
I'll run it down really quickly. We went to, we landed in San Francisco. We drove from San Francisco to Yosemite. Yosemite. We drove from Yosemite to Los Angeles. We went from Los Angeles to the Grand Canyon. We went from the Grand Canyon to Las Vegas. Uh-huh. Then we flew to Florida. Yeah. We drove down to Key West, the lowest point of the uh, United States. Then we drove back through Orlando, Miami, uh, hang out there. And then we flew to uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, we hang out in D.C. And then we trained to New York. And then we came home. Beautiful. And then I've just been at uni ever since. Did then. you go to Rara Tonga? At some, oh, that yeah. was before May. Though. That was like oh, the okay. beginning of the year we went to Rara. Yeah. I think that was like one of the gaps as well. Yes. Um, sorry, I'm currently looking at Google. <laughs> I I searched up what to ask your friend after not seeing them for a very long time. But see, I have seen you. You see me like occasionally. I don't know. What we we have seen each other in the last five months. Surely, yes. right? Yes. Or if we haven't, it feels like we did. Yeah, I feel like uh, we just pick up. Pick up where we left off from the last time. What was our last episode about? Was it education? No, it was big tech. Big tech. That was a fun episode. Yeah. I can't really remember what we talked about. All I remember is I was, we were talking about Elon Musk and Starlink and whether or not what he did was good or bad. And then, I mean, since then, there was information that came out now that he purposely turned it off, turned Starlink off in Ukraine. Oh, wow. Um, Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, see... I constantly talk about this. When you concentrate power in the hands of a few individuals, you have to trust that they will do the right thing. And I simply do not have that We're not giving them power. We're just giving them money. And because of the society. But that's not their fault. That's our fault for having a society where money is power. Would you say that you have a parasocial relationship with Elon Musk? Explain to me what parasocial means. It's like you don't even know the guy. Yeah, but you feel like you could sit down and have a coffee with him. Mm. He doesn't even know you. Yeah. yeah, is that what you mean by parasocial? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I in I I I idolize Elon Musk, but not his personality or his person. Like, I think the work that he does is fantastic. Yeah, like yeah. if you said to me, "What are the most exciting things to me about the future?" Mm-hmm. I would probably say. Space, space exploration, yeah. renewable energy, electric cars. Like the brain implant thing is super sci-fi, but I see like the use case of that. Yeah. Like the boring company. Boring company, AI. His new AI startup. Yeah. Like all those things are things that excite me. And it's not really him that has the that has me like excited. Yeah. It's more like the prospect that someone I think the thing I think what I'm getting here is like is this idea that you want to be able to do, yeah, yeah. do that. So it's almost inspiring to see someone who it's does exactly that, right? right. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah? Like you want to run businesses that yes. solve problems. Exactly. You know, and wh- I think why I don't see something, I, why I don't see the same, um, why I don't see, let's say Mark Zuckerberg or... Uh, Zuck. Or Bill Gates in the same way is because to me... Although what they did is cool, I'm not interested like in Facebook as a or Meta as a business. Yeah, and, and I mean considering Windows, the problems that Meta. Yeah, and obviously creates, right? computing in terms of Microsoft was amazing, it's but I think yeah, exactly. But I think that's not what interests me very much, and that's why I think I'm even more drawn to Elon Musk because of the fact that all of the things that I think are like important, massive future, mm-hmm. uh, future building. Yeah. Things. Anyway, yeah, but yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question, right? Like, 
the idea that you can, you know, you want to make an impact. I think we were talking about this before. You want to make an impact. How do you want to make an impact? I think for, for someone like you, it's like you want to identify problems yeah. that exist and you want to create. I don't think, like, I think the idea that one person can solve the problem is really misleading. I think yeah. it's you can create something that attacks the problem or pushes the fold so that we are all better able to tackle the problem as well. Yeah, I think something unique, I think there's something, you know, something when it comes to entrepreneurs and like from what I have read and researched, good entrepreneurs don't always know how to solve the problem, mm. but they know how to motivate people to solve, solve the, problem the problem or create teams that can solve problems. Yeah. And they also, I think a good entrepreneur, especially when it comes to hard problems where it's not convincing to maybe investors or the public that it's mm-hmm. a good idea, is being able to have enough drive that you want to do this that yeah. you're not really pers- um, persuaded by people's pessimism towards the, the thing you're doing. Yeah. Um, which Elon Musk does in both a positive and, and negative <laughs> and way. crazy way. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think anybody would re- have recommended that he bought by... You know, uh, Twitter. Mm. But there we go. That happens. Would you call yourself someone with like an entrepreneurial mindset? I think so. Actually, this is funny because I've always said, I say to my friends and family that I want to start a business, right? Mm. And then they go, well, don't you have a business? And I'm like, yeah, but not that kind of business. Yeah. But then it's like, I think lots of people don't, um, that never get to that stage. Anyway, like, so yeah, I own a little business that does media work, live media work, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't see that as like a company. I just see that as something I do. But but there's lots of people who don't even do that. It's, you know, like this self-employed. Most people will never be self-employed in their life. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. So sometimes I think, oh, yeah, mate, maybe. I, I definitely feel, you know, such a hard personal thing. It's like, I feel like I want to be an entrepreneur. I feel like I have entre- entrepreneurial like skills and and uh, the entrepreneurial demon inside me, but the demon. to say that I f- to say that I am an entrepreneur <laughs> seems like a, quite a like self awarding thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's. I feel like this is a thing with both you and me. We don't say something about ourselves and think until we think it's like truly earned. Yeah. Even though people around us might say that it has been earned. Mm. Like I, I'm not convinced myself. Yeah. Right. But. What I want to understand about you is like you, there are things that you care about, right? There are problems that matter to you. What are they? Like beyond the, like I'd say beyond the tech, like impact wise, what sort of impact are you looking to make? Hmm. I think if you look to major changes in the past and in history, Mm -hmm. what are things that, Obviously, I take for granted everything that's happened. I don't... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Obviously, everything that's happened in the past has had positive impacts on us like yeah. in terms of innovation. But there are some things that stand out to me as like, that That was really cool. Mm-hmm. I think um, like mobile computing in terms of like m- smartphones and the miniaturization of like technology, like, you know, uh, integrated circuits and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Like imagine working for a chip company. The, isn't, there, isn't, there, isn't there that like thing where there's only one company that can make... Yeah, the machine that makes. Anyway. Yeah, um, it's crazy though the way that they make it. It's all done with lasers and stuff mm. like that. Oh yeah, laser yeah. etching the yeah silicone and those wafers. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be one thing I think. Definitely space exploration. I I love that. That's like kind of blowing up. Mm-hmm. Wink, yeah, haha. 
Why is space exploration something that interests you? Is it like is it like a like a schoolboy sort of big dream thing, or is it almost like a you know this is a vehicle to push for technological advancement of the human civilization? It's just cool. It's just cool. <laughs> well, there you go. Right? Do you know like, what I mean? Like yeah. the, the the um the innovation that goes into and, and the amount of engineering that goes into launching a person mm-hmm. on a flaming candle yeah. into the sky. Having them float around for months and months, even up, you know, years eventually, and having them be able to land on a different planet, come back and land on this planet. Like that, it's just a massive engineering challenge. And people, I mean, space has become a very big part of the economy. Like we take for granted the fact how big space plays a role in our lives. GPS gone without, without, um, you know, maintaining the satellites in space. Uh, Starlink with the new open access to internet like i know a lot of people in auckland or in the regional uh, you know the rural parts of auckland out in the skirts or even out in like places like titarangi where um the internet was awful <laughs> who are now using starlink and it's just yeah. amazing uh, so so that's also a new, new technology that's not available elsewhere yeah um and also a lot of like the climate change modeling and how important um yes space and, yeah. and, and um, data from space has been so that's that, that's why it's exciting to me but also just imagine this the ship floating in the middle of nowhere has to sustain itself and the people inside it. Yeah. Just such a cool problem. It is a really cool I was I think in the New Zealand Film Festival I watched one movie which is all about the physiological and psychological effect of travelling to Mars. Like yeah. the and and it was a bunch of interviews with like NASA employees who've had to work with astronauts on psychology and mindset. It was with uh, like the astronauts themselves and their families and, and what the sort of effects of that was, right? And like space travel as a whole, super interesting. And I think we're going to have to do it with the way we're, we're moving forward with this planet. Yeah. But I also think like the idea that a company like SpaceX exists and is trying to solve all these problems by bringing together the smartest people in a room and innovating in a way that governments haven't been able to innovate before, that is fantastic, right? Yeah. It puts pressure on everyone in the industry to step up their game. Yeah. It makes it more important because the public now has this sort of narrative around Space travel is now going to become a feasible thing. SpaceX is going to be delivering it very soon. People want to catch on that train, you know. Yeah, I think the va- actually the vast majority of people don't um, want to go to space, don't care about space, which yeah. is also fine. So, so when I was talking about impact, I think that space exploration is like an it's like it's such a long term impact that it won't even see our generation won't see any of the positive impacts no. of space travel. It will just look like a money burning hole where you're just spending money to do... Our grandchildren or great-grandchildren on the other side might not even be, like, on <laughs> Earth. Well, know? yeah, that's a bit of a fun. No, I think... I think, I, I think great-grandchildren. Maybe. I, yeah. feel like we've got, I feel like we have a lot more time to go. Great-great-grandchildren. Like, much more time to go. Great-great-great. They're, like, 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 20 of those greats away. I, f- I feel like a moon base is accomplishable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the plan. I think um, Artemis program, NASA Artemis program, is to mm-hmm. get some sort of sustaining uh, colony on Mars, uh, on the moon soon. And I think SpaceX is still, their whole plan is to get 
you know, cost to, to access Mars down. But mm. I'm not really passionate about space for like the let's let's um let's col- go to another colonize. planet. Colonize. It's more so like the idea of solving that problem, it, right? Think about. I mean, it's hard to put into perspective how far away the 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 Mars is from Earth. Um, but it's a very far way. Mm. And between Earth and Mars, there's no fucking gas stations to stop at. It's going to take 14 minutes. Yeah, it takes yeah, 14 minutes for light to travel, travel. to Mars. That's the a long time. Light, the fastest thing in the universe? Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, oh, yeah, just, um, that's an interesting thing that has really nothing to do with what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But imagine you're on Mars and someone's on Earth. And let's say there are colonies on both planets. Mm-hmm. For the first time in human history... Well, sorry. Actually, this is that's 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 a lie. That just shows you how naive I'm, I am. Mm-hmm. In the first time since the invention of like the telegram, yeah, or tele whatever it's called, <laughs> what was that thing? Yeah, telegram. Where you put your Morse code down it, right? I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. But before then, if you wanted to transfer information around the globe, you had to do it like with a a letter, like yeah, a pen and paper. Yeah, and then yeah. they got to come up with the telegram. Beep 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 beep. beep, beep. Inf- instant information drill. Electric signal. Now. It's going to take 14 minutes to communicate with somebody on a different planet. And it's going to be this weird, like, disassociation, nearly. Mm-hmm. Like, current affairs. You know, when you, like, imagine you got Twitter on uh, Mars and you're like, I don't know, some nuke goes off on Earth. You're not even going to know 14, about it. 14, 14 minutes, minutes ago. And uh, then it's going to take you 14 minutes. Like, if you reply on someone's tweet, right? Mm-hmm. 14 minutes it's going to take to go all the way back to Earth. Yeah. It's just interesting. I just find it, like, quite fascinating. Um there, it's gonna be. I would rather see a, a, a world where those two, that, where those two planets are like really closely linked and everyone feels like they're working together, but it's not gonna be like that. I, I don't think. What do you think it's gonna be like? What do you think is a plausible vision for a colony on Mars? Uh, I think. Well, I think what will happen is obviously it will be. I'm guessing that it will be someone like NASA mm-hmm. or the Russian space agency who are like. Roscosmos. Yeah, who are like, we're sending people, we're starting a base. And yeah. I'm guessing that as soon as that happens, the other one will be like, well, we're we going to. Yeah. So you'll have like two bases kind of close to each other, but far enough away. That's my guess. And then um, they'll probably both be using the same private companies, which will be a bit funny. Like I'm guessing they'll both use both the, uses, yeah. Yeah, the same company to get there anyway. And I think we'd want it to be a very, like I, I don't think that's what we want. I would say, Perfect colony would be. You good? Yeah, no, I'm just thinking. <laughs> the perfect colony would be where mm, it's hard because at some point, I think at some point, you need somebody just to be in charge from Earth and be like, this is what's happening. Yeah. But at some point, there'd be so many people there that, that they would have like a self emergent system, right? They have to go from being employees to be go to citizens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there would have to be some sort of government. And I thought I think that's gonna be a really cool thing because it's gonna be our first time in a long time in history. Where we've had to reestablish how yeah. civilization like, works, yeah. right? And I think it's gonna be very interesting. Yeah, I mean think about what you know, the worst consequences of climate change. Probably gonna have to learn very fast <laughs> how to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Just as the earth gets more and more ravaged. But um, what was that show on Netflix? Space Force? Yeah. The Steve Carell one? Yeah. That was really interesting, <laughs> right? Like the military taking the lead on space exploration, them yep. being completely and utterly incompetent and, yep. you know, uh, a miss to the values of space expor- exploration for science. And then, you know, 
them having a little wee war with China yeah. uh, in space. And I think as, as utopian as uh, a lot of conversations about space exploration are, the reality is that we ain't getting anywhere until the geopolitical tensions on Earth are resolved as well. And there, there are a lot of um, sci-fi novels which explore this concept of, you know, a near future scenario where we've had to do some sort of emergency space mission. Um, there was Artemis is one of them, which is like the Andy Weir book. And then another Andy Weir book, uh, um, Hail Mary or something, where there's like some planetary killer thing. <laughs> and so all the countries uh, unite um, I think the most realistic scenario I've ever seen played out in fiction is this movie called Arrival. Yeah. Um, because in that, you know, the nation state still exists. Countries have to negotiate for information and have to communicate with each other um, because these, like, big pods are dropped around the entire world, right? And there are aliens inside those pods. Um, and, like, at some point during the movie, the Chinese... Uh, scientists or Chinese team sort of taps out and is like, nah, this is too much. This is enough. I can't deal with this anymore. The pressure of an alien destroying our planet. So we're going to nuke them. Or we're going to like shoot a missile at the ship and try to bring it down. And that's bad because they've been trying to establish like a healthy relationship with these aliens. So what I would see happening if there were colonies on Mars is either it's a completely privately led mission you know, or their governments backing it. You know, NASA has their own thing. The European Space Agency, along with NASA, probably the Canadian Space Agency, all together doing their thing. But then the two suckers who stand out are the Russian space program and the Chinese space program, both of which who will try to set up rival space camps very easily. There will be violence, I think. <laughs> uh, well, I or think it'll be standoffish in some sort of way. Yeah. Um, ideally, everyone should just get, get along. <laughs> you know, Carl Sagan, um, the like astronomer who's famous in the 80s, like he wrote this book called Pale Blue Dot. Um, and the entire, like it came off the foot of the Cold War has ended, relationships between formerly communist countries, like liberal democracy has dawned, we're entering a new future. And I think everyone felt like that in the 90s, right? Globalization was happening. Uh, everyone was more connected. We're nearing the end of the century of like a lot of war and a lot of suffering. So we're entering a century of peace and advancement. <laughs> and so his whole vision was like space exploration is a vehicle to bring countries and civilizations together because of the quote unquote pale blue dot perspective, which is if every human had an opportunity to travel to the moon and look back at the earth they would realize how small and vulnerable it really is and how small we are as civilizations uh, and how petty the things we yeah. fight over about are. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And he's like, that is, is, is a mechanism to bring humanity together. Space is. And that's why like, I continue to be invested in it because it's like, not only is it a really cool engineering problem, not only is not only are the innovations that space travel produces flowing down to us like on a daily basis, I think the utopian vision still speaks to me. 
like it can be used for peace. It can be used to build something, a new vision of how we organize humanity together. Yeah. And I mean, we're rea- the reality is we're so far from there. Mm-hmm. We're going to find those issues on the moon first, I think, like, because obviously NASA's planning to go to the moon. Uh, India just landed their uh, rover there. The Japanese just landed there or are landing their rover there. It's like, I think the space, not the space race, but the space economy is growing yeah. really fast. And I think it's, it's going to be great to see. And obviously, there's going to be issues and we'll work through those as we go. But I just really hope that people, t- I, I, I think that private enterprises being massive already now is going to be interesting because they're going to have a much bigger say in how this goes down, mm-hmm. which I think could be good because governments might, I think, yeah, I think, I think, um, I think companies do a better job at some diplomacy than governments can do. Oh, for sure, because their bottom line yeah, is, is, is profit. profit. Yeah. So I, I feel like that can be that could be a, a help in getting all mm. the parties on the same page. Because I'm guessing that there'll be some sort of. I mean, take SpaceX and their Starship, for example. Yeah. I can a very I can very well imagine NASA goes well. You're going to have an exclusive, you know, exclusivity clause with us, pretty much saying you can't sell this rocket or you, you know, it's used to anyone else. And I'm, SpaceX, I'm, I'm sure, will be eventually like. Yeah, nah, because yeah. Russia will pay more. And then it will be like this negotiation where everyone's like, look, we're only going to do this deal with you if you all get along. And then it's going to be like, okay, fine. <laughs> At least that's how I hope it goes. Yeah, I think on the on an Artemis, the book, uh, they have like a big moon colony and it's just like portions of it are owned by different businesses. Yeah. And so like the, the supply side of it, like where they send supplies up to the moon yeah. continuously, but like that's done through one business. If you think about the Earth, that's exactly what happened, right? Countries, yeah. countries, mm-hmm. I was doing air quotes for people who can see, were probably originally... It was land ownership, like, in the individual sense. I mean, at least on the Western side of things. Mm-hmm. It's like, I own this land, I sold it to them, they sold it to me, I bought lots of it. Yeah. I'm thinking about, like, Te Māori when I talk about this, because mm-hmm. I know that this is, like, there's different worldviews in this, but I feel like, I feel like hum- humanity um, runs on the basis of, like, land ownership. Well, Western civilization does. But I even think I, I li- you know, hear about... Like the the iwi in New Zealand mm-hmm. would fight about land, yeah, land. yeah. But it was just instead of it was individual ownership, it was more collective ownership. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I guess in that sense, ownership of land is important to all all civilizations, people. all communities, for sure. Yeah. So I I think that the idea that the moon or the or Mars will be owned by everybody is just a little bit rubbish. Crazy, yeah. Because yeah. people will end up having to be like, well, you can't come across this area because this is where my land is going to be, which you know. I was listening to an interesting podcast. It's that um, it's called the uh, the Great Filter, I think. The Great Filter Paradox, or something. Yeah. The long story is that what what it's about aliens mm-hmm. and why we have not met them. Yes, and yeah. the options are they don't exist. Mm-hmm. They never got advanced enough. They every like pretty much everyone. The Great Filter is this like line that no one can cross. Which yeah. is to say that like no one can ever get to interstellar travel. They like yeah. other species may never have gotten out of their own solar system. Yeah. Um It's 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 like a threshold, right? Like and they talk about humanity being on either side of the threshold. Like the threshold being some sort of extinction event or some sort of limit to what people or living beings can do. And so the Great Filter says that okay, either 
on a whole, we're just an anomaly. Like no, life cannot exist anywhere else in the universe, which frankly, I don't think is plausible. Or we're on the, we're behind the filter. And if we're behind the filter, it means we're currently approaching uh, that cataclysm, that event that limits us or stops us or like wipes us out. Or we're already past the filter, right? Like we've crossed it. We've crossed that limit. So we might be the first or one of the the only or the only to travel beyond. Yeah. It's very fascinating pondering the depressing life. Well, um, I just think that like, why don't we do more experimentation? Like, why is there not research into like how easy it is to form life? I mean, there is. But, like, uh, maybe my understanding is, like, maybe it takes so many millions of years to do... That's probably why. It takes so many millions yeah. of years to mutate to this form that um, there's no point even experimenting. But but my basic understanding of history of the Earth is that deep down in the ocean, right, there was this bubbling gas that was bubbling away and it created these single-cell organisms. Yeah. Why don't we try to do that? Like, we do, actually. Do we? Yeah. There's, like, uh, another Carl Sagan thing, like... <laughs> He did this documentary series called Cosmos, mm-hmm. which is like probably his most famous, like the work that he's known for. And one of the clips or like one of the episodes is about life on Earth. And he takes us into this Cornell laboratory and they basically have these gla- huge glass tubes and they're simulating early Earth conditions. So they've got like the gases that we think were present back then. They've got like the sort of rock that we think was present back then. Uh, they've heated the water to those temperatures and they apply like a lots of lots of energy, whether that be a heat or electrical energy and they see what comes out of it and they produce like this brown goop <laughs> stuff which has single-celled organisms inside of it see in which case my belief then would be if that if that is not like if they were able to replicate that easily enough mm-hmm. then i i will you must see life elsewhere if it the conditions be, yeah you know, if the conditions are correct i but think the james webb space telescope recently put out uh, information about, like, the whole idea behind James Webb was that it could now look at exoplanets and other solar yeah. solar uh, solar systems because the Hubble that we had didn't have the refinement that it needed to zone in and on them or the spectroscopy tools to see what elements were being emitted from, from those planets. Now we can do that. So James Webb can survey space uh, exoplanets, and they found uh, one of these planets to be emitting a sort of gas that we have only ever observed emitted by uh, life or living beings or living organisms. And, like, you know, that planet is basically a huge fucking ocean, so it's, like, sub subnautical life, potentially. And they don't claim to be discovering extraterrestrial life. But it's like we're pushing closer and closer to that discovery. Like we're going to get there, you know? I, I think we're going to get there very soon. Yeah. But in the same, I, I think I, I heard, um, yeah, I heard somebody, I heard another analogy, which was uh, pretty much like somebody gets a, somebody is a, goes to the middle of the ocean and gets a bucket and scoops up the bucket of water and goes, nah, there's no, nothing, there's nothing <laughs> in there. Exactly. Right? Like our universe is so big, unfathomably big. Mm-hmm. There are, I just quickly searched this up, there are approximately 70 quintillion possible planets in the universe. Yeah. But there is 
seven sextillion grains of sand on the Earth. Yeah. There are more grains of sand on the Earth than there are planets in the universe. So just like puts in perspective, like obviously it's unrealistic to go and look at every single grain of sand, but that's really what needs to happen. Like if you, yeah, yeah, we're kind of pretty much saying at the moment we know we we assume that Earth is one in Mm -hmm. in all of those planets. So to say you pick up a grain of sand and that be the one you found, it's like we have a lot of searching to do. Um, Yeah, it's just very fascinating. It's very um. Very not important to the day-to-day. But no. when you think about it, you go, wow, that's kind of cool. Um, which, and it would which, be life-changing, right? Like, well, do you think, <laughs> like, if tomorrow NASA came out and said there are aliens, they exist. But, but, but yes, but that wouldn't happen. Like, it wouldn't happen like that. Okay, okay. Fictional scenario. No, but you get me. Like it would never happen like that. It'd be like, like there are signs of life. We would know life. that they were coming before they were even here because, mm. well, it depends. Like it's it would be impossible for, and if assuming that nobody can travel a speed of light in the universe, mm-hmm. we would see them coming. Mm-hmm. We would see something unnatural coming, yeah. right? And we would know that something's going on. Yeah, which is also why scientists around the world are listening for stuff all the time. Yeah. Uh, that that and they're listening for things that don't sound like normal universe things. Mm-hmm. So like we would know that something's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh and depending on what their intentions were, if they even had intentions. <laughs> what if it's like what if the other what if the other species are like the fire like uh, like the moths of the universe. They don't they don't even know what they're doing. They're just going to the light, you know? <laughs> but this time instead of going to light, they're going to whatever radio yeah. signals we're emitting. Yeah. Like we, the intentions thing is going to be, it would be really hard because we're not going to be able to communicate. We're not going to be able to understand. They might not even be, like, what if, they, what if they're already here? What if aliens already exist? What if, like, literally what if life came to this earth on a, on a fucking asteroid? That's the sea theory, right? Like, Yeah, I yeah. don't know. But, like, would we even know what to look for? Yeah. Yeah, like, it, there's that idea that, like, there are, some complex organic molecules that didn't exist on Earth when life formed, but at the same time, there were a lot of asteroids hitting Earth. So there's this theory that, like, okay, what if an asteroid gifted the planet with these complex organic molecules, but what if that asteroid was part of a larger chunk of something, right? Like, what if it came from a completely different system, you know? It's, it's yeah. very interesting, and, and this is like it's it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but it is hard to, to, just to tell what, what's happening. What's, yeah, yeah, and like, I, I, what's that one movie? Don't look up. Oh, I never finished it. I got like seventy five percent of the way through. Like the s- society's melting down. But do you get what I'm saying? That's the kind of reality we're in. Yeah. Well, see, that's that's the thing, yeah. right? Like, we can talk about the utopian vision of space exploration, but. What's going to happen is what happened in Let's Delica. shoot that shit down, boy. <laughs> get the military here now. Or it's going to be like, get all the rich people off the planet. <laughs> get them to, like, put them in the, what, hyper, hyper sleep thing? Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, well. Oh, I don't know. I think um, this is an interesting time. We're going to be long dead before we meet aliens. That's the sad reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but who knows? We might have cryo, like, sleep by the time we're dead. In which case, we could just sleep and we could say... Wake me up when you find those aliens. <laughs> I want to get a look. Wake me up when there's something worth waking <laughs> yeah. up to. Yeah. I want to see those things with my own eyes. I want to go in the ring with one of them. I want to go 
I want to walk out this world knowing <laughs> that there's life out there. There's life out there. We weren't alone the whole time. Maybe like a space cowboy. Although, <laughs> yeehaw! Isn't there that movie Cowboy vs. Aliens? Yeah, I don't, I've never seen I've it. I've never I fucking seen it. I don't know what it. it's about. I think Daniel Craig's in it. I don't know what Daniel Craig's doing in a movie about cowboys bow, and aliens. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> bow, bow. But that's the James Bond kind of thing, isn't it? James Bond is an alien. Yeah, well, I don't know. I love Men in Black. Yeah. So much content these days. That's so, like a whole other. No, I know, thing. but like, <laughs> so I've not watched a single like Marvel or Star Wars show on Disney Plus that no. they put out. I've not watched a single. I've not. I've not watched Loki. This is like wait, wait the one I watched was Vision, WandaVision. Yeah, I really liked it. I've not even seen WandaVision. No. I just I could not be bothered. I gave up. Like I'd rather watch movies, but now I'm not even interested in the movies. Marvel really. Did I tell you? Oh, I did tell you. I did tell you. What? I bought the Elon Musk's biography. Yeah. Yeah, that's been good. That's been. I've been listening to that. What is you like? What are your findings? Or like, what are your learnings? So far, I really like reading biographies. I think there's two two ways to look at it. You can read about someone's life and figure out what not to do with your own. Yeah. Or you can read it and be inspired to do something by your own. Right. I mean, given what we said before, I think it's p- definitely part of inspiration in the sense that, like, his, his upbringing was not ideal. Mm. He literally had to force his way. He, he, got, he earned, exact, he earned his, his place, really, at, mm-hmm. at the beginning of his career. At, well, career. He didn't really have a career, did he? He was just an entrepreneur. Yeah, he <clears throat> got out of uni and just did that. Yeah, which, I mean, he definitely earned that. Like, there's nothing I can't say... You know, when he sold his first company, there was nothing there. Do you know, like, there's this idea right now that billionaires, there's like, if a, if, you, if 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 your society produces billionaires, it's doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. I think when he sold his first company, it was a very small company. It was literally just him and his brother and a couple people, mm-hmm. I think. And they just sold it for, it wasn't even that much, I think 30, 40 million. Right. There was not really much to that. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody thought it was worth What was the million. first company again? It's it was called like Zip2. Zip2. And pretty much put, Yellow pages and maps together. Isn't and it like Zomato before Zomato or something? Or Google Maps before Google Maps? It was kind of Google Maps, but it was like localized. Mm. So you would have your newspaper would host a version of it in right. your area. Yeah. Yeah, then he founded um, X.com, which was like an internet bank. Yeah. And then they merged with another. PayPal? They merged, yeah, with a company that had a product called PayPal. Right. Which then became, then they sold that company to eBay. And that's where. Oh, yeah. He got, I think, like three hundred million mm. from that, uh, and then he put, I think, his story. I have, I'm kind of this is where I'm at in the book, but he put half into SpaceX and half into Tesla. And I think the admirable thing about Elon Musk is, and I think you told me about this when we were talking about the biography earlier, was the fact that from a very young age he cared about space travel. He cared about renewable energy. He cared about you know, the things that he's doing right now. Yeah, I mean, like, in uni, he wrote, uh, he did a res- he did research on on renewable energy and his internship. What, supercapacitors or something, right? Uh, his research paper, his final year paper was on the need for solar power. Mm-hmm. And then he also, I believe, worked f- while he was at university uh, for a company that was doing research into supercapacitors. And in his... When he was at university, apparently his three things were, yeah, renewable energy, 
space travel mm-hmm. and electric electric vehicles yeah as part of that renewable energy because renewable energy is it works right and in, in, in the rest of society it would have been fine it's the cars that we can't really we had no really easy way to convert Get around, to yeah. electric so that was his things and uh, well, his story with Tesla was interesting because he didn't create this Tesla company. He kind of pulled all these people who were doing separate things together and merged them into one group. Yeah, because there was like, and there was like a central thing, right? Like someone had already started developing. Yeah, it was the company an electric was, car. It was a company called Tesla, Tesla. Motors, yeah. <laughs> and they were making a car. Yeah, but they were using research. They, there was like three companies, I think, that were all doing the exact kind of the same stuff. And yeah, Elon was like pretty much like. I'm going to give you money, but you have to work together. And mm-hmm. and Elon Musk, he did produce the first, like, viable commercial consumer. Yeah, I'm not sure about that exactly. Electric but car. The, what, they definitely made it work better for them in a, in a, in a kind of commercial yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Book's been good. Book's been good. Yeah, that's the kind of content I like <laughs> right now. <laughs> I am. Um, I really enjoy reading biographies, but I've I've been reading a lot of political biographies. And I think yeah. it all started ever since you gave. I borrowed that Obama yeah. book from you. Like yeah. that's where it all went downhill. You know what I'm saying? Um, and like there there are moments of that Obama book which I look at and I'm like, dude, what were you doing, man? What were you doing? <laughs> like the response to 2008, and I think this is like pretty broadly agreed upon as a as as an idea. The response to 2008 was. Sure, it was high pressure. Sure, they were literally trying to save the world's biggest economy from completely collapsing. But did it seize the opportunity? Did it create structural change? Not really. <laughs> you know? Um, then, but I did really enjoy the, par- the parts about um, the early days of the campaign, the sort of narrative that he was trying to create around him. I love learning about his early life as well. So that, that was all cool. Then I read, um, I'm currently reading Malcolm X's one, which I like everyone has told me that that's an essential piece of reading to do, like learning about Malcolm X, like yeah. more so than Martin Luther King, simply because of the man and the things that Malcolm X did, like the journey that he went through, whether that be the crime, the false pros- prosecution, change to Islam, his assassination, his, you know, belief in uh, the, the black nation, right? Like, just because of that. Very distinct from any other activist before him. Yes. Well, you're looking at me. Malcolm X? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Wait, I can't hear you. No. No. Oh, there we go. That's better. Uh oh. <laughs> Awkward. Awkward. I was going to say, I don't know who Malcolm X is. Malcolm X uh, was a civil rights leader back when the civil rights movement was at its peak. Um, and he was very famous for, uh, I think it's called the, the Nation of Islam or something, which was, he believed in violent protest, right? He believed in overthrowing uh, governmental forces. He was incredibly anti-white in the sense that he was probably one of the first anti-white supremacist uh, campaigners, activists out there who linked 
the race to the power structures that oppressed his people. That's what he was trying to do. So the way he approached the problem of civil rights was a lot different to what Martin Luther King did. You know, very interesting yeah. man. Yeah, I've only read about his early days, early childhood. Um, you know, horrible home life. His, I think, his dad was lynched or something. Um, he had several brothers and sisters. He went to another city uh, to live with an aunt. Um, he got a job there. Got into a real rough crowd, but he was quite bright at school as well. Um, oh, actually, before he went to that city, he was in a foster home with a white family, and he has this really intriguing part about. Uh, his own blackness or his own identity being washed away in that foster care. Um, yeah, really riveting stuff. Then I read um, the first, oh, one of the biggest prime ministers of Iran before it became a not-democracy. That was a really compelling one. Um, guy was admirable, super stubborn as well. I think that's a, a thing I notice about great, like quote-unquote great people Yeah, or people who want to change things or people who want to make an impact. They're relentlessly visionary and they're relentlessly stubborn as well. They do not compromise on whatever it is that they want. I'd say the same thing about Elon Musk. Like the man, everything that he's built, he's done cutthroat. He's done at the cost of himself and the people around him, but he's done it because he believes in the thing more than he believes in himself. Yeah. And... I was watching another video, like, do entrepreneurs have to be assholes? <laughs> like, do they? Do they? Personally, I think yes. I think they do. Well, I th- fuck you, should not do. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I think if they want to, if they want to make the impact that they talk about, if they want to, they, they have to push and shove. Yeah, I think they quote Elon Musk himself. I don't know exactly what he said, but it was like, um. It was like the only people who'll change the world mm-hmm. are the people crazy enough to think they can. Like it was something like that. Yeah. Same kind of vibe. Like I, the only people who are going to make a big enough impact are the people who are crazy enough in today's society that they think they can do something like that. Exactly. And I, I, I think um, I think that thing that matters the most is to say you might be crazy enough, but you're not going to do it by yourself. I don't think you can. Nobody can do anything. Nobody can do anything. The (laughs) The greatest things on the planet that have ever been accomplished, every innovation ever, like you might associate the integrated circuit with uh, a specific scientist, Bell, right? Alexander Bell. But there was a team, you know? Well, I mean, in some cases, somebody does invent something, but it's rare that somebody, I mean, the reality is if you want to do anything meaningful and impactful you can have the best idea and the best execution and you can come up with something and prove it but you need a team and you need a a a group of people to help exactly make that useful i mean and you hit on this the greatest entrepreneurs are the people who bring the right people together and the right pieces together sell them on a vision and create the environment for them to innovate yeah more than anything else yeah yeah yeah, and that's been one th- interesting thing, both with Obama's book and Elon's book, about how they deal with their team mm-hmm. um, in very different ways. Yeah. Elon Musk is one of the Elon Musk apparently has been one of those kind of people who just says, like, he, he doesn't take no for an answer, yeah. which is both problematic and positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the author of um, 
Elon Musk biography, Walter Isaacman did a biography on uh, Steve Jobs as well. The one on Einstein as well, I think. Yeah. He compares, um, he talks a lot about Steve Jobs in Elon's book, actually, mm-hmm. about the differences between them. Yeah. And both, how they both um, set unrealistic deadlines, mm-hmm. but give them, they're unrealistic in the sense that you don't see it and go, oh my God, that's not possible. I'm not even going to try. They set extreme deadlines in the sense that you could go, if I tried just hard enough, like just hard enough, we could make this. Yeah. Which is apparently what he believes, the author believes, is what creates such positive outcome from their companies is that they push their employees so hard mm-hmm. that they actually re- actually help them achieve what they thought was impossible. Yep. And it was like, it's actually not empowering, just the business is empowering individuals as well. So that's been interesting. Yeah, I mean, it might like fuck over your mental health, but you're being compensated fairly. Yeah, and I think that's something else I was talking to some friends about. I was like, I would rather... And this is also t- talked about in the book about the idiot factor, and it's like, well, the cost of materials is fifty dollars, and the cost of the product is fifty thousand. You idiot factor of a thousand, like it's taking a thousand <laughs> times the, you know, yeah, you know. So I think um, I would be rather, I would as a as a business owner, I would probably be willing to pay people a lot more money, mm-hmm. like double, triple their in, their, their uh, base salary or whatever at the uh, median salary. If they can reduce the idiot factor down a lot, completely, you know, yeah. I'd rather spend money on people with, mm-hmm. with good ideas than doing something that takes lots of money. Saying that, what sort of ideas do you have? Like what sort of things do you? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know yet. I think the truth is that I don't. I don't haven't experienced enough to know that's the thing that's gonna. That's the thing that I want to mm. to focus on. Um, Does that make you anxious? Like thinking that you might never find it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, my plan is to leave uni and go work at some company or whatever. Yeah. But then there's that feeling that's like, well, what, what if I just do that forever? I never, <laughs> I never find my my thing, right? Yeah. But I, I, I think every day I, I talk to people, what is the, I feel like, I feel like it's the kind of thing that will just it'll stick to your mind as soon as you hear it. You'll be like, you will st- not be able to stop thinking about it. Yeah. I haven't found it yet. <laughs> it exists. It exists for sure. But I feel like we're also in a time where innovation is very niche. Like, like it's hard to create something truly revolutionary Revolutionary. Yeah. right now. Like, I think, look at iPhone over the past five years. Nothing's Nothing changed. changed. Yeah. Um, the processor maybe is the only thing, but to like we're getting at the stage that it doesn't matter to people anymore. It's not giving them any more. The gains in performances are marginal. Well, but even if they're not marginal, nobody's doing fucking supercomputer calculations on their iPhone. Oh, exactly. So, yeah. People from Apple will probably get annoyed if, if I said something like, oh, no innovation, because I'm sure there's lots of very cool stuff happening. Mm-hmm. You know, probably how to design the better sensor from the camera or fit more in this. It's like, but truly revolutionary, re- revolutionary nothing. You know, I was, and, and sorry, I don't want to talk about Apple. Yeah. The Vision Pro thing, that do, I don't, that doesn't, I, when I see that in my mind, doesn't I go, me. yeah, gimmick. Yeah. Like, it might be useful for a few things. Yeah. But I don't see people in every household wearing Being a Vision Pro. What does it do? It what might, it, it might do something like replace your TV. Yeah. But I don't see it being like a social like a, I don't see it being like it a, a new part society of society. Forward, right? Yeah, not really. I think we're approaching a new paradigm. 
but like that's the point when you're approaching it, it means you're saturated what you can accomplish in this current paradigm right i think i'd be very interested in something to do with food production like mm-hmm. i think yeah food growing agricultural agriculture tech like agritech school yeah i was um i don't know where i was reading it but like someone posed like a challenge right and it was like okay if you take what a government provides in terms of like social utility right like you think about free health care free education um there are costs associated with that either businesses out there that can like i'm not talking like delivering an entire health system right but let's say you take a specific aspect of it like uh cancer screenings and oh yes no i was watching a video about cancer screenings yeah and they were talking about the u.s healthcare system obviously we know it's fucked right so this company is like okay we're going to develop tools and innovate on current cancer screening tools so that we can drive the cost of getting a cancer diagnosis completely down yeah. because the main burden of cost that exists or like the reason cancer is so harmful is because it's so undiagnosed when it needs to be yeah. like it's diagnosed at late stages right yeah. And so they're like, we're going to completely drive the cost of cancer screenings down with these new technologies that we develop, and we're going to intervene or disrupt uh, current providers of cancer screenings who are mostly like being like paid through insurance companies, right? Like this is a, a consumer cancer order, <laughs> cancer diagnosis order thing that you can yeah. order, use, and then fucking whatever, right? It sounds eerily similar to that Theranos thing, <laughs> yeah. which is like the blood prick and it like gives you a medical diagnosis. Yeah. But I, I think it's, it's, it's a cool idea, right? Like you can, if we're approaching a paradigm, like a new paradigm and innovation is saturated, we can't move forward in a revolutionary way. Maybe it's then saying, let's take a step back, look at the systems we currently have. Are they working in the way that they should be working? Are they delivering the efficiencies we need them to deliver? Are they even solving the problem that they're set out to solve? If they're not, how do we fix that? How do we optimize that? Cancer screenings are the most important factor in cancer mortality. (laughs) The single most important factor. Someone identified that we don't do enough to make that accessible or we don't do enough to make that efficient or we don't get it or communicate it to people well. So they made a company out of that. And that company, instead of going about changing how cancer screenings are done in an entire U.S. healthcare system, are just sitting here, disrupting, putting pressure, intervening, so that eventually someone picks up the slack and makes the change themselves. You know, I like I I, I like that idea. That you can just drop a drop a bomb, someone will have to fucking do something about it. And you sound like the U.S. military. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a really interesting. Yeah. Like we talk about, um, we I, I remember we used to talk about climate change consulting. Yeah. What does the... Cl- now I just do that for a job. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, you're living my dream. Well, yeah, not really. But. Not really. Um, it's like, what will the climate change economy look like, right? There's already an... like an energy sector deploying renewables like the u.s 
the companies that exist that deliver wind farms and solar panels and shit like that, that's freaking cool, you know? Like, what will this new emergent climate change economy look like where, bless you, where <laughs> where there are challenges, where there are things, where do the private companies come in? Where do the startups come in? What innovation needs to happen? You know, governments need to respond. They need to deliver widespread systemic change. But how can we put pressure on the government to do the right thing through a business? The best things happen when the government isn't involved. <laughs> yeah, we tell them to fucking do the right thing, you know? Yeah, but like, like the the societies, well, maybe not. But I feel like the greatest type of product or businesses are the ones where customers, they get, they, government has nothing to do with it. Like you either make something that was previously so expensive, so affordable yeah. that people can just afford it, right? Like you think about, think about healthcare. Let's imagine for a scenario that you could, a private business mm-hmm. could figure out how to make healthcare effectively free for people. Yeah. It would just pop off. The government would not have anything to do with it anymore. It just that's what, that's why Theranos was such an interesting yeah. concept, right? The fact that like you could completely eliminate white cross clinics <laughs> Because someone could sit at home with a fucking app, prick their blood, yeah. and figure out what's wrong with them. Yeah, you know? uh, Or Mark Cuban's new company, which pretty much sells prescription drugs in the US for cost. Yes. Like, yeah. Like, that's brilliant. You may, I think they say they make 15% uh, markup on everything, and that's, that's just how it's going to be. That's it. What? Do they, like, buy it wholesale? Do they buy drugs wholesale from, like... Well, they just don't mark it up. Oh shit! They just don't put the massive market. So they, they just made a pharmaceutical yeah. company, and <laughs> they like they just don't mark up. And he was like, "It's ridiculous." And he's obviously a billionaire; doesn't need any more money. Yeah, but he's still they still make profit from this business know, because people are people are buying it cheap when they're buying yeah. are buying huge amounts of it. So that that's interesting. Medical innovation is interesting, but it's also slow and tedious because of I guess restrictions on what you can and can't do. do. Yeah. Um, let me let my cat in while you talk about <laughs> something. Well, I don't really know what to talk about, but like, th- if like that's the thing or the approach to innovation. I think for a long time we've been told that like all it takes is one idea to change the world, and I agree. And there are things that are going that we still haven't witnessed the full consequences of yet, which are going to completely change how we live, like AI, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but I think a better way of looking at it is like, are we even doing the way we do the world in the right way? Is that efficient? Is that working? Innovation, I think, simply means to solve a problem creatively or in a way that hasn't been solved before or a way that people aren't willing to solve it. You know? Yeah. Like, we, the solution might exist but the solution is so tedious or so weird or so out there that people don't want to take the risk of doing it. And that's where the entrepreneur comes in. That's why entrepreneurs innovate is they're taking that risk. And I sound like those guys like, oh, businesses take the risk and therefore they shouldn't have a burden to pay in tax, whatever. I, like that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is the reason innovation and entrepreneurship is so exciting is because there is a whole pool of innovation that still hasn't been tapped. And that's in how the world works. We can optimize that. We can change that. We can intervene. We can disrupt so that you can make a goddamn impact, you know? What are you doing? Nothing. Okay. What do you think? Uh, 
Pennsylvania fleet. Um, I think it's difficult. That's usually where we end up. I think that um, <laughs> I I'm more interested in innovation in the. Yeah, I I think I think you well. You know, I think if you have an overarching goal in life, like pretty much explaining what you just said, like make the world better, mm-hmm. make things better, and then you find something that you think will make the world better, yep. or and then you you do that. I think that's the approach. Mm-hmm. I feel like taking on this idea of like, oh, we've got all these systems that are broken, you will not fix. You'll you'll kind of get overwhelmed and not be able to fix anything. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about so attacking specific parts. Right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, or it might be creating something new that will. Do that. Change yeah. people's lives. I completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. Innovation. Entrepreneurship. Communified.co.net. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. We'll try our best. We'll see what happens. That's right. And and I just I think that um yeah, there's lots of people who could be Yeah. Could put Dedicated life towards creating and solving problems, mm-hmm. creating solutions to problems, not not creating the problems. Creating the problems, yeah. But inherently, when you do something, you create problems. Like I think, <laughs> think about Apple creating the iPhone; they created problems with supply chain issues and mm-hmm. child slavery and all that <laughs> kind of shit. Um, mm. Yeah, fun, real fun. Mm. Let's talk about Apple next time. Yeah, I think next time we're doing an election episode, aren't we? Oh, yeah, because the election's like two weeks away, right? It is in exactly, well, it's on the, it's on the 14th or 16th. 14th, 14th, 14th. It's on the 14th of October. Or is it the 15th? No, no it's, it's the, the 14th. 14th. Saturday, <laughs> yes. Um, So that's coming up. Yeah. Are we going to do our live stream on the election or is that a maybe? I'm really keen to do okay. a live stream on election day. It's a solid maybe on our... We should. What we should do is we should come up with a guest list as yes. well. Live streaming on YouTube or something. Yes. Have some content planned. Yes. Like some questions to ask. Yeah, yeah. People, I was thinking that people would, just, we would, you and I would talk, and then we'd have people like come through. Yeah, we're gonna invite, uh, we invite Michael Wood. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that he will go. I think it all gonna be at their own election party. It's like we could have, we could host a watch party, and while everyone's watching, we just mm-hmm. like talk to random people. Yeah, I agree. How nerdy is that? It's a watching nerd- the. Percentages tick and over. It's like a live reaction, right? Like, so, like an elector is gonna flip. We're gonna be like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. Who are you voting for? You don't have to tell me. No comment. No comment. Oh, okay. Probably. Um. Well, I'm in the mood of an electorate. Do I like Debbie? Do I like Deborah? <laughs> yeah, she's pretty good. I don't know who the national guy is. So I'll probably uh, Paulio Gus, Paulio Garcia. Oh, Paulo Paulo Garcia. Yeah, that guy is like super Christian, man. I don't uh, know how I feel about that. Yeah, I, it's not like super Christian doesn't like. I don't think he likes abortion or or gay people. We should ask him about this. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Um. Probably do text Rain. I think Steve Abel is running for the Greens in my electorate, and he's he's pretty cool. 
And he's pretty high up on the list as oh, well. Please don't put your vote towards the Green Party member. In the <laughs> I'm joking. Party vote Green. Party vote Green. I think I'm. I think I, you gotta I, be real, you got to be realistic. The only I think the only two can only two Green electorates you've got a shot in uh, Auckland Central and Wellington Central. Maybe Mount Albert. Against Helen White. Yeah. Uh, who's running? Oh, uh, Ricardo. Ricardo. Maybe. But when did he pop into Mount Albert? Has he been in Mount Albert the whole time? Yeah, he's been campaigning. Like since 2017, 2020? No, no, not since 2020. When did he run? 2020 was the first election, right? Twenty twenty. Yeah, I think he was list only, though. Ah. Yeah. I'm not too sure. He might have been running for Manga Kike or something as well. Mm. Central Auckland. Who's the national in Mount Albert? Oh, Melissa Lee. Melissa Lee is popular, but yeah, I, I mean, she, she, like the nat, like nat people are going to vote for her. It's as simple as that. I'm really interested in Elam. Yes, Elam. Elam. Hold on, hold on. I just want to look at the um. <laughs> Mount Albert election results. Let's not look at 2020. That's too That's unfair. too anomalous, yeah. 2017. Oh, Jacinda Ardern. Oh. Probably got to go back to 2014. It's not really fair, Prime Minister in the electorate, is it? Nah. So what we got here? We got Melissa, oh, Melissa, Lee, Millie, Melissa Lee has been running in Mount Albert since 2014 at least. So that's, that's quite good. Uh, Labor. Jesus, has it ever been... Uh, has it ever been anything about Labor in Mount Albert? What do you mean? Like... Oh, shit. Here we go. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong thing. Uh, 68% of the vote in 2014 went to Labour. Yeah. Uh, 28% went to Melissa Lee. Green's got 8.83%, which is actually pretty high. I think, what did they What did they actually get? In oh, 20, shit. 2017, Julianne Genter was running in Mount Albert. Yeah, the, that's the Prime Minister's seat. You always put someone in. You know what I mean? Mm. Makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. they're always going to be, you know, div, um, but you got only 6% of there was a by-election. Oh, yeah. There was a sense. by-election because of um, David Shearer resigning and Jacinda I didn't pick it up, I'm pretty sure. You know the crazy thing? I don't even remember David Shearer. No, neither. I remember Cunliffe. I remember Andrew Little. I don't remember David Cunliffe or David uh, Andrew Little, but I remember that I was beginning to pay attention right around when... I remember that I was paying attention when Andrew Little was there and, just, and he resigned. And David Cunliffe, I just know because one of... His sons did debating, and he occasionally came, and that's when I was starting to get involved in politics, and I would like watch his YouTube videos of like stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I started getting interested in twenty seventeen as well. Yeah, like okay. I don't know why as well. I don't know why I got interested in politics. I n- I never figured that out. Like, what was the inciting incident? Was it just the fact that I did debating? I have no idea. I think for me it was just, I mean, we can probably talk about this next. Mm. Yeah, just tune in, tune in uh, October 14th. Yeah. To what the live time stream. do you think we'll do it? Like in the evening, afternoon? Yeah, we'll start in the afternoon, right? Because the, co- the count will start. Afternoon. Will the count start in the afternoon? Results. Fuck. Results will start coming through, I think, like, polls close, I think, at 7 p.m., Early vote results. I, I, I'm going to do advanced voting. I don't want to go on election day. I'll go with, I'll go with you then. No. So go, uh, advanced voting starts in like one week. Shit. Yeah. Wow. So I'm going to, yeah, I think 
uh, advance votes come out like midday because mm-hmm. obviously they were been already counted up. Yeah. Um. So I think they come out at midday, which is why last election we saw, we saw it was like fifty five percent labor, labor, and everyone was like, "What?" what? <laughs> yeah. And then it slowly went down over the night as um, more and more people voted, and, and it it seems to be then that more of the advanced voters voted for labor then. Oh, and, for sure. And more of the people who voted in on the day voted for national. Yeah, sure. That would make sense. Yeah. So let's let's see. Let's, let's we'll be live on something. Something. Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> X.com. No, probably YouTube. Yeah. YouTube maybe good. we'll just go live on the radio. How? I'll like illegally broadcast from there. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be good. All right. Sweet. Cool. Good episode, Mike. That was a fun conversation. It we, was definitely interesting. We didn't. No way that was going. No. At all. Hence, no assembly required. Yeah, no assembly is required. No assembly is required. Just enjoy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll put this on the Instagram. Yes. Well, you they would have known that by now. But please share. Oh, yeah, sure. Please. Please sh- share. Share if you enjoyed it. Review <laughs> our guess. podcast. Subscribe to it so you get new notifications. I feel like a content creator now. Yeah. But I don't want to be a content the creator. The people who listen... I why do people listen to us? I don't know. Why, I think they're our friends. I wouldn't listen to myself <laughs> Have you ever listened to a podcast episode? Like, have you like played it? Ours, yeah, like the first two. Yeah, I. I but I, I laugh. I find it enjoyable because I just laugh at the at how like embarrassing it is. <laughs> <laughs> the only one I listened to was the education one. Oh yeah, well, let's get. Uh, I was talking to him. He, he's because he just finished his practicum. So he yes, he was talking to me about that as well. He's super. Let's uh, episode after election we can have him back. Yeah. Or maybe we could talk to him about education during that little election piece. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, it would be good. You can talk about like. Yeah. Education in this election, in the context of this yeah. election as well, it, like that episode, dude, seriously just set up a seed in my head. Like I've constantly been thinking about, you know, it was our most popular episode, by the way. Really, mm-hmm. I'm glad. Mm. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. cool. I'll see you. See you on see you later. October fourteenth. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye. See you, Mike. Bye. Bye tonight.